what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. Over there across from me is Chris. Hello. And we are here in the middle of November. Chris, I noticed you have stopped shaving. Is that for this whole November thing? It, it is. is. Yeah. It is. I also recently moved, and so it was too busy. I kind of couldn't find the razor, so it's kind it just of kind of all worked out time purpose, for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been going uh, razorless for about two months now, I guess, so trying to see how that works for me. So we are the bearded ones here <laughs> with you uh, to talk about some films. And uh, we've got two films we're going to be reviewing today. First off is the latest uh, Ridley Scott film, The Martian, starring Matt Damon. Then we'll also be talking about the Michael Fassbender, Aaron Sorkin film, Steve Jobs. And then we'll cover a couple of quick new movie news items and end up with our recommendations of the episode of something we think you ought to check out online that maybe you've missed in the past. So with that, Chris, I say we just jump right in and get started. Is that okay with you? Yes, yeah, sounds good. Our first review is going to be the latest spy science fiction film by master filmmaker Ridley Scott called The Martian. I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Ready? And you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Commander, Mark is dead. We have to go. Now. now you can either So Chris, as I set this up, I, I actually said the science fiction master. Ridley Scott, because you hear Ridley Scott, you hear that name, and it's I think Prometheus. <laughs> of course, and you, we all know that. Of course, you awesome. do. That's automatically what everybody thinks of. of the past thirty years. <laughs> you think Blade Runner, you think uh, Alien, you know, and then of course there's tons of other films you did, but those two are probably the high watermark sure. Ridley Scott films you think of. And then sure. yes, he did do Prometheus. He's dabbled in some other genres Gladiator. along the way as well. Gladiator, very mm-hmm. well received film. So here we have an adaptation of a novel, a very beloved novel that I honestly was not familiar with uh, until I heard it was being made into a film. Okay. Uh, but we have the story of Mark Watney. Uh, this is not a true story. This is a fictionalized account of a story because to the best of my knowledge, nobody we has been on Mars yet. <laughs> not yet. So this is a fictional story. Sure. But it is a story of Mark Watney, who's an astronaut, who is on a mission in, on Mars, gets left behind, assumed dead. And then we follow from two tracks. We follow Mark's story on Mars. We follow NASA's story on Earth as they're trying to reconcile what's going on and what they need to do to help save their astronaut. We have uh, a very commanding lead performance, I will say, mainly because he's in the film almost probably 70, 80 percent of the time, Matt Damon. And he has to do a little bit of a Tom Hanks, uh, a little bit of a castaway deal where he has to kind of act alongside himself. Sure. Talk to himself a lot. They use some devices to help with this idea of talking to himself by using video recordings and other things. So we get a little bit of insight. So, Chris, I want to just ask you, I mean, this I will go ahead and say I think this movie was 
a terribly strong crowd pleasing film. <laughs> is that to its detriment though? Did you feel like that this being really geared as a true crowd pleaser meant it's meant for as many people to walk out of the theater saying, that was a good movie. That was a fun movie. That was great. That was exciting. Whatever. Did that work? I mean, was it possible Ridley Scott made a true crowd-pleasing film that everybody liked? Or do you think that actually hurt the film in some way by trying to be so enjoyable for everybody watching it? Well, that's that's interesting. Um, I unfortunately, not unfortunately, I, I read the book first. Oh, you did? So I did know it was a book, and I okay. knew the movie was coming out, and I had heard Ridley Scott was doing it, so I was excited about it, and I wanted to go ahead and read the book first because okay. that's just how I roll sometimes. So... It's pretty loyal to the book, is it? and the okay. book is, you know, kind of, I guess, you know, it's a bestseller, so it's, you know, quote unquote, crowd pleasing. Yeah. So, did they alter it mainly for the a lot for the movie? No. So, if the book was mainly crowd pleasing, as the movie will be as well, I will say that I don't think they took extra strains okay. to make the movie crowd pleasing. But I will say there were some aspects that they could have defocused on a mm-hmm. little bit that would have made the movie. I think the movie was good. Okay. Um, defocusing a little bit on some aspects would have made it great. Mm-hmm. So the movie is good. I liked it. For instance, um, I wish, you know, to me, this is a mashup of Apollo 13 and Castaway. Yeah. So sure. you know, that's, that's, basically, good way of looking at that's it. basically what it is. Castaway, you know, you, it was, you were stuck with Tom Hanks, you know, mm-hmm. you're stuck on that. I wish there would have been more focus on the Mark Watney. Like, you know, you mm-hmm. said in the setup, 75, 80% of the time you're with Mark Watney. To me, watching it, and granted, I'd read the book, so I kind of knew how everything plays out. I, I thought it was more like almost 50-50, like going uh, back to Earth. Okay. And, you know, and I wanted Mark Watney, and they, they showed in the movie, you know, Matt Damon does a good job of bringing his sense of humor, his mm-hmm. determined way he thinks about things. He did a good job showing that. I wish they would have showed it more hmm. less worried about earth and the mechanics of what's happening back on earth and more focusing on Watney because every time they went back to earth, I kind of got bored. That's um, interesting. I, 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 I wanted more. I wanted more Watney. You know, I could not like, yeah. And I, I just, because he's so interesting and so funny and, you know, basically in the book and he is in the movie too, but like, I just felt like they, they could have given him more. Hmm. Um, and there again, I, I, it is a jaded perspective because I did read the book. Um, yeah. But I, th- I thought the movie, Mark, Matt Damon did an excellent job. And of course, you know, Ridley Scott, I've gone on record. I like him as a director. I really like when he does space stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I like Alien. I like Prometheus. And I knew going into Martian, I'm like, this is going to be shot well. It's going to look amazing. And of course it did. Yeah. Um, and unlike, actually, there's one other movie that if we're going to say it's a mashup between Castaway, Apollo 13, then the movie I didn't really care for, Gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, and where Gravity, I thought, was all how it looked and there wasn't really any meat to it, this actually had meat to it. It had right. something going on. So it made me like it more than, say, Gravity. You know, the, the thing for me is I, I, I enjoyed the film, too. I thought it was a good film. It was a lot lighter than I expected for a mm. film of this subject matter and the storyline. Well, I came out feeling like it was a lot more breezy than I expected it to be, mm. both in terms of the humor, which I appreciated the humor, but it, I did feel like maybe the humor was sometimes a little out of place in that I never really got any sense of true drama as much as I would have expected to giving this story. Okay. And yeah, there again, I think if they would have stayed with Mark Watney, his humor, he had humor, but it was also very sarcastic and yeah. kind of gallows humor. 
and cutting back and forth and not seeing his kind of mindset, you kind of couldn't appreciate that as much. Yeah, I think. I, I, so I, I can I can see how you say it was maybe not as well. And I, I think it worked for the crowd. I think so, again, well, yeah. people laughed. They thought it was fun. You know, and it's it's a lighter movie, but. I wouldn't have minded getting a little more serious at times about the dire situation he's in. I mean, we get glimpses and little quick moments where you can see the emotions getting to him, but it wasn't dramatic. Now I do, I understand. And I know this was obviously in the book where he didn't really have any family to pine for. See, and I thought that was so great. Spoiler alert, you know, that they didn't, they kept that true. Yeah. And I thought that was so amazing because you know, typical Hollywood, it'd be like, he'd have a wife and a kid yeah. and he'd be like, Oh, I'm never going to see them. And that would be you know, more, more of the trauma and, and emotion would come out of it by not having a family for him. Then I'm, a, I'm able to go with it a little bit that yes. Okay. Maybe he's not going to be curled up in the corner crying, you know, half the time. Uh, he may be a little more self-determined, a little more comedic, a little more, a little more light about the situation because he doesn't have a spouse or a kid or something that he's missing or that he feels like we're missing him. So, you know, again, since that carried over from the story, I'm with you. I'm glad they kept that in place. Sure. Because I'm afraid if they had introduced that element, it either would have gotten too melodramatic or it would, it would have made the humor really difficult for me to reconcile. And times. something about from the preview that I saw for the movie, I'd, the way they some of the shots, it confused me. And I thought they were going to stick them with the family. Oh, so really? going in, I was like, great, they're going to change that. Yeah. And they didn't. So I was like pleasantly surprised that yeah. they kept to that. So. I, I did enjoy the film. As I said, I, I labeled it the crowd pleaser because they just seemed to hit all the right notes. Sure. All right. Yes, we're going to get a little science geeky every once in a while. And the science nerds in the audience enjoy that. But <laughs> we're not going to make it too overpowering that you're going to get lost or confused. We still make we pretty much serve it to you on a platter to let you know exactly what he's doing right. and why. We play up the moments when there's going to be drama and stress. And then we're going to hit with a uh, counter it with a lot of humor. Um, the banter between uh, Mark and the other astronauts when he has contact is very witty and a lot of just quick banter back and forth. Right. Even the banter back and forth with NASA is kind of that right. It's just, it's all kept very light and enjoyable and it isn't meant to overly stress anybody out. Right. And it's not meant to overly depress anybody. Everybody comes out happy of the film. I mean, I enjoyed it. Sure. Would I have liked more? Yeah, I would have liked maybe more Mark Watney. I didn't mind the NASA stuff. I thought the stuff on, on, on Earth was good. Again, I just felt like it was all just being so compressed in. And we got was. moments on both sides. Right. I thought the politics side of it on NASA's side was fascinating, but I felt like that got skipped over and breezed really, really quickly. Well, I mean, granted, the movie was has a 144-minute running time. So it's still a good length movie. So, yeah, it's not shying away. I mean, it's it's long. It's over two hours. Um, there is a lot to put in there, and... Yeah, I say I want more Mark Watney, but then there is some stuff where basically an element, kind of a feel-good element, but it's it's earned because it's kind of, you know, at the end it's like you realize all of Earth supposedly did all this stuff just to save one dude. Yeah. And you're like, it's kind of, kind of crazy when you think about it. Mm-hmm. But there's a point made in the book that's like, you know, it's, and it's, you could say it's just Pollyanna-ish and kind of happy, like, oh, yeah, you know, everything's going to be smiling and rainbows. He's like, but Mark Watney kind of makes a statement about how, like, you know, it's funny, but when, if some people do want to help, you know, it's, it's, you wouldn't think so, but 
you like nations coming together and people actually generally do want to help. Yeah. And, but there's, so there's an interesting kind of, there's an interesting theme there that's kind of touched on in the movie, but not really. Um, that could have been make it more deep and make you more of a thinking movie. Still kind of crowd pleasing, but it's kind of a deeper like, well, you, you know, know, why don't we help people? You know what I would have wanted, would have wanted out of this story. What's that? Give me a 10 to 13 episode miniseries on oh, Netflix. Oh, yeah. See, that's the format this should have been in. Because then you yeah. can really dig into the really the nuanced stuff he's doing on the planet. And you can flip-flop between the stuff on Earth and all the politics and wrangling. Sure. Even in a two-hour and 20-minute movie, this was a lot to jam in, this whole story. It was a great story. But again, to really dig into the science side of what's happening on Mars and then to dig into the political side of what's going on on Earth. Yeah, Those were both true. really fascinating to me. And I felt like both got to had to get compressed and really shot through pretty quick just to get this whole story done in two, well, a little over two hours. And I can't remember how long he was on Mars. But, you know, you're only in the movie theater for two hours. Right. Oh, he was on and there for, I mean, it was months. Over was a year. Over a year. It's over yeah, a year. Easily. I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe it was almost two years. I can't, I can't remember. But I know it was for at least a year. And so that's why I feel like, you know, the Mark Watney time, more, more of him would have made you feel like you were stuck on Mars. Because, yeah, but I guess – it was so escapist to be able to flash back to earth and see what I would have wanted is give me 13 episodes, one hour episodes and alternate them uh, between NASA and Mark. So episode one, you know, it's, everything kind of, he gets left up there. Episode two is all NASA. How are they dealing with this tra- tragedy of all that episode three? Let's follow Mark for an hour while he's actually getting his bearings. So you're kind of doing that ping pong back and forth where you're getting the different perspectives going at the same time. I that th- would have been a really cool. Format. I think what we're doing Sounds to me, Alan, that we're basically on the same page. We both like the movie, but we both wanted more. And I think mm-hmm. we want to take this idea to Ridley Scott and Andy Weir, the author of the book, and say, hey, guys, you need to sell this to Showtime or HBO or FX. Netflix. Netflix. Oh, Netflix would be good. Mm-hmm. And just make a series of it because there's so much more potential. Don't do a agree. sequel movie. Nope. Just do. Redo this one. Redo. But just give yourself you know, 13, 14 hours to do it. Take your time. I, I think that's. I think it would be, awesome. be good. It would be. So I think that's my biggest issue is that to make it just a nice tidy package, which is really what it was at the end, a nice tidy package of a film. Uh, you know, they had to kind of breeze through a lot of things and they had to let it fit in the humor and counter it with some level of drama, but I didn't feel like it was maybe deep enough at times. Um, I just kept very light on the surface and it's just, this is a great story and a great character. Mm-hmm. I wanted more out of it. Sure. And I guess that's my biggest issue with it. Also, I never once really remembered it was a Ridley Scott film while I was watching it. Hmm. Nothing about it really stuck to me as, wow, this is grandiose filmmaking. It looked good. It was fine. It was serviceable. But I never really got the sense of any kind of anything that he lended to the affair. Like a Ridley Scott moment. This was a story-driven film. Sure. The visuals, I mean, it was Mars. I mean, you know, it, was, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And other than the beginning and the end, you really didn't have a whole lot of space stuff. You know, it was like very like smaller moments with the crew and then at the end. Hmm. Um, so visually, you know, I just, I, there was nothing about it. I had to remind myself afterwards that this was Ridley Scott that directed this. Um, hmm. I hate saying it's a paycheck film for him because, I mean, it's one of those where the story's already there. It's it's a kind of a, it's going to be a box office success just based on the book and the story as it is. Right. So let me just go through the motions, and make the cast. They've sure. got me on board because I'm a sci-fi guy. People know me for that. Um, but there was nothing about the film that made me think it was real visionary directing or anything that we could have expected from him on a science fiction film. Hmm. 
So that's just my take on it. No, no, not that it's a bad thing. It sure. was. I'm not watching the movie for all the visual touches. I'm watching it for the story. Sure. That's the difference in this 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 situation. What do you think of the acting? Other than you mentioned Matt Damon, but I thought Matt was fine. Um, you know, it's just do you like the Mark Watney character or not? That determines whether or not you like Matt Damon's performance. Okay. Um, but you know, everybody else was. Jessica Chastain has still yet to really just bowl me over with anything <laughs> performance wise. And okay. I think it was tough her being in interstellar just a couple of years ago. And now being in this, it was a lot of Matt Damon was also in interstellar. Yeah. There was a lot of similarities there, which was kind of odd. Kristen Wiig. I'm not really quite sure why she was there I, other than to cry a lot. <laughs> I don't, I think Kristen Wiig, I like her. We talked about, I uh, yeah. welcome to me. I like her as an, a comedian and I like her as an actress. I'm not sure why she was cast. No, I'm not really sure either. Um, now, other Jeff- than like you said now, I could say she's a known quantity as far as comedy is concerned. And so maybe to be more crowd pleasing and more pandering to an audience, they stuck her on earth. So earth would have a counterbalance. Yeah, but she really didn't have any, and she wasn't she, comedic. Actually, no, she really all, most of the shots you saw her, she's standing in the control room, like crying at the end. So, um, <laughs> I will say Jeff Daniels. And we're going to talk about Mr. Daniels here in our next film as well. He is in it. I thought well. Jeff Daniels was really good in this film. Hmm. I like his, the no nonsense type, uh, straight lace guy role that he did this in the newsroom, which was an Aaron Sorkin thing, which we will talk about in a minute with Steve Jobs as well. Okay. Um, I like that type of performance from Jeff Daniels. Okay. I just do. I think he has that commanding role down pat. So I liked him. Um, and then. Gosh, I'm always going to mess up EGO4. Yeah, Chuyatella EGO4. He was fine. Yeah, sure. I thought everybody on Earth was fine. Okay, there was nothing that really just jumped out at me as like no, really I, enjoying I, it. Yeah, I thought everyone on Earth, the the cast of the crew on Earth, they were good. But the one person that just kind of struck to me as strange was that Kristen Wiig. Well, it's just more strange. of a why do you put in such a recognizable character and give such a small role that really doesn't doesn't really add anything to the story? Right. It just right. seemed kind of pointless to me. True. So, overall, hey. I liked it. I had a good time with it. Uh, I think it could have been better. I think it could have been handled in a different format. And I didn't really know if Ridley Scott or Kristen Wiig's name need to be attached to it because I think it was fine even without those two elements. Otherwise, it was fine. <laughs> okay. I mean, how, how passive a, a review was that? It was, it was fine. fine. It was good. It was, it was fine. fine. I had a good time. I laughed. I smiled. I, I, was, I was good. Right. Okay. Sounds like we're on the same page with that. Good. So that's The Martian, Ridley Scott directing uh, from a novel starring uh, Mr. Jason Bourne himself, Matt Damon. (laughs) So it's still playing in movies. Uh, Movie theater is actually doing pretty good right now, box office wise. So I'm sure even by the time you hear this show, unless you're listening to it like in 2018 or something, (laughs) uh, it may still be in the movie theater. Who knows? So let's move on to our second review, and that is one I am really interested in talking about, and that is the film Steve Jobs. What do you do? You're not an engineer. You're not a designer. You can't put a hammer to a nail. I built the circuit board. The graphical interface was stolen. So how come, 10 times in a day, I read Steve Jobs as a genius? What do you do? Musicians play their instruments. I play the orchestra. Alan, when talking about this movie, we had it as a news item in episodes past. I think I was the one who remarked, but you kind of agreed with me. This movie has everything going for it. Director, Danny Boyle, 
yes. uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, yes. starring Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs. So it's like it's theirs to mess up. You know, all these great elements. We were both both of us have been looking forward to it. Uh, the movie's been out now for a couple of weeks. Alan, you know, how do you feel like they handled this material? Do you think they messed it up? <sighs> um, <laughs> man, you're right. Every element. Somebody commented to me that it's almost like this film was custom made for me hmm. because really it's one of my favorite directors Danny Boyle, uh, yeah. doing a film about one of my favorite historical characters right. with one of my favorite actors right. written by a guy that I really like the social network and I like <laughs> the newsroom and I like the West Wing. So sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm still trying to put my nose on exactly why this film didn't work for me. Okay. And I think I've got it figured out. Okay. I think the conceit of the film that is chopped up into three pieces mm-hmm. and it's the 30 to 45 minutes before a keynote address that Steve Jobs delivers. Okay. On paper, that sounds like a really cool conceit. I think that completely messes this film up and makes it a really frustrating film for me to watch because to do this conceit, to have this work, and you've got these characters that interact with Steve Jobs and they're all conveniently showing up in that same 30 to 45 minute block of time before a keynote on three completely separate occasions. Years apart. Years apart, talking about the same topics in all three phases of his life. Takes a huge stretch of the imagination to believe that that's anywhere close to anything, anything happened. Well, and let's, let's address that right off the bat. This movie was based on the Walter Isaacson book, the biography that Steve Jobs commissioned Walter Isaacson to kind of write with him yeah. before when he knew he was had cancer and he wanted to go ahead and have a biography written about him. But it was based on that book. And then the screenplay, Aaron Sorkin, obviously famously, like you mentioned, The Social Network, took that. So, yeah, there are, you know, as with movies happen, there were things where they kind of conveniently made certain things happen. Like you're saying, specifically the instance of his daughter, Showing up before mm-hmm. all three events. Well, it's like really, it was almost, it's almost like the Christmas Carol story mm. where you're going to be visited where by Steve the Jobs three ghosts. Scrooge, Scrooge, okay. In a way, I, the way I've kind of had to reconcile how I can maybe find a way to enjoy this film <laughs> is I have to look at it in a whole different lens. Okay. That everything happening before these keynotes was all in Steve Jobs' head. Mm. Okay. Interesting. If you take that approach, that's why the same five or six people he interacts with every single time, because they all represent a different part of his life that either he's not happy with or concerned about or is tying up space in his brain. So before each of these keynotes, he's mentally going through these interactions that are not really happening. That's the only way, Chris, that I can look at this film and say, yeah, okay, it, was, it worked for me then in that situation. But if I try to really look at it and say, really? The 30 minutes leading to a keynote, Andy Hertzberg shows up right on to cue. Right. It was almost like by the third time, Chris, I'm like, okay, so we've seen. Next up, we got to see. Next up, we've, oh, I've seen, John we've seen Steve Wozniak. <laughs> Where's John Scully? He's got to show up. Right. And even the way John Scully, especially the way they brought him in. Of course, he was president of Apple for quite a while. And he was the one that famously made the choice to with the board to let Steve Jobs go from Apple. Scully being played by Jeff Daniels. By Jeff Daniels, playing a very similar role that he does in The Martian. Jeff, uh, John Scully was almost like a magical figure in the film where there's like he just poof showed up in a certain spot <laughs> like he's backstage right before with a glass of wine sitting out waiting for them I'm like oh, really it's like you're just 
that's when I had to adopt this whole in my head that this is all fantasy in Steve's Steve's mind because that's the only way I can make this all work in my head about how I could enjoy this film. They gloss over all the important parts of Steve Jobs' life, and all of them are mentioned in passing. Right. You're hearing people talk about the aftershock of things that have happened, but of course they're not happening right now because we're just in that 30 to 40 minutes of real time before the keynote. So I think the conceit was good and interesting and had me excited to watch this film, but actually watching it play on the screen, it just didn't work. Well, and what's, you know, we've talked as well in episodes in the past when we talk about biographies or maybe based on people's real lives, how a common failing is to start in their childhood and Mm -hmm. go through their passing away, which this movie could have easily done. Could have done. And that often they're trying to cram too much. So it's like, you heard the unique approach of this movie and kind of said, Hey, that's, that's exciting. different. That's great. I, I was, when I, as soon as I heard the conceit, I'm like, perfect. Love yeah. it. Cause I love Apple, Steve jobs, keynotes. They really do resemble him at different peaks of his life and at a good spot. And I love the drama leading up to it. The first 15 minutes, I was totally on board. Okay. If you remember the very first shot we have is backstage. You're getting ready to unveil the Mac and they could not get the Mac to talk. The whole dialogue and interaction of just trying to get this one thing to work on the stage. Yeah. That's what I loved about the film. That was, I I think that was a strong point of the film for me as well. The dialogue between Steve Jobs and Andy Hertzfeld. Yes, I agree. And if that had continued, if that had been the kind of tone we had throughout the film, I think we would have had a really interesting film. But unfortunately, that first little 15 minutes clues you in right away. This is the kind of person Steve Jobs is. Fine. Right. Everything else is then passive. Everything else is then, well, Steve, you did this in the past, and you made this choice in the past, and you're not supporting this person in the past. That first 15 minutes was him in the element actually being Steve Jobs. Sure. And that was what made it interesting to watch that first little bit. Because you knew all along why he wanted the Mac to talk. Right. He knew in his head there was a reason for it. And could the Mac's Apple's fortunes have been different if the Mac didn't talk during the rollout? Maybe, you know, he was, it was passionate. It was something important for him. He wanted it and seeing that drive and how he can maneuver the people around him to get what he wants was what was really interesting. Everything else in the film I felt like was people talking about something that's already happened. Well, and I had a problem with, I, like you, I was excited about the conceit of, you know, the three instances in time. The first instance I thought was really strong. Actually, you know, honestly, the first two instances I thought were great. The hmm. last, the last third, I felt didn't work at all. Hmm. Um, but the first two instances, the first is the launch of the Macintosh. The second instance is him at Next and like Started launching, kind of unveiling the Next Cube. I felt both of those were very strong. Hmm. Um, but what really bothered me was the, like I guess if you think about this as like a Big Mac with three big meat patties or whatever, the bread that went in between to bridge the oh, first instance to the second instance, it was like this montage with like scrolling horrible. dates and news. I thought both of those in between the first and second instance and the second and third instance were horrible. Yeah, they, they just, horrible, horrible. They were not part of the same film. It was yeah. just like, although we need to kind of let the audience know that some things did happen in between. But the thing is they're flashing up these headlines and doing it in such a trite way. But as those headlines were flashing through, I was like, uh, that's what I want you to talk about. That's, right. the, that, that's what I want you to like spend time on. And everything is in the passing then. You know, it's like if you did not read every one of those head, head, headlines in that one minute little montage thing they did, then you're going into the next phase and 
everything's talking about the past. Everything's talking about choices that have already been made, decisions that have already been made. And I just, I was not interested as much in the ending. The ending. Sure. Yeah. This film did not warrant the ending we got. The ending was so just over the top on the nose, which does not fit what they were trying to do with the rest of the film. And I just hated the end of the film because nothing told me that that end was, should have been the end of the film. Sure. It really felt like it was like they had a more realistic ending to the film. Audiences saw it and said, oh, we don't like that. We want a happy ending. So like, okay, fine, we'll give you a happy ending. And they gave the closest they could give to a happy ending, which just felt so forced. Well, I have to say, I think I am, it sounds as if I am more positive on this film hmm. than you are. Um, that, and one of, the, one of the reasons is I thought the cast was dead on. Um, I really liked the casting yeah, of Michael I didn't Fassbender have a with the as cast. Steve Jobs, Kate Winslet as Joanna Hoffman. And I did not have a problem with Seth Rogen as Steve Wozniak. I didn't either. Um, I thought, you know, I, th- I thought it was all- Jeff Daniels was got um, Michael Stuhlbarg as Andy Herzog. Perfect. I thought was amazing. No, he was so great. I thought the casting was really well done. I thought Stuhlberg and uh, I really thought um, Kate Winslet. Mm. She was probably my favorite character to watch in that whole film. Oh, okay. Um, even more than than... Fassbender. I okay. really, really like Kate Winslet's role, and I really like um, Stuhlbarg's role. So, yeah, those two. Anytime the two of them were on the screen, I was totally, like, engaged. I think, um, and I really liked the direction as well. I, I liked, I mean, granted, there, like you kind of said with Ridley Scott, did I come away from this thinking it was a Danny Boyle, Boyle film? No, not really. But my main problem with it lies somewhere and that the conceit wasn't somehow carried out with the screenplay. So it's kind of on Aaron Sorkin. Now, Aaron Sorkin's, some of the dialogue in the movie was very good, and I thought some. was well written, but just the the construction of the, the storyline I thought didn't work. But I thought the dialogue was pretty good. Uh, the only problem with the dialogue I had is it's just it was almost too Sorkin-ish at times, and hmm. I just don't feel like anybody behind the scenes at Apple was talking like that. So, like, there would be times where they'd have that little ping-pong back and forth as they're walking down a hallway. And just the whole time, I guess I've gotten to the point now where I've seen that 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 method of delivering dialogue in anything related to Aaron Sorkin so many times now. It's like, okay, yeah, so he's definitely he's forcing his voice and his style of dialogue into these characters that I don't think it fits. Um, well, I just didn't see it. I, some I guess of the, coming uh, from Steve Jobs, I could believe it because that kind of, like— but but Rapid it was actually fire. more like sarcastic, funny than it was like just mean, do this type of thing, which I think was how Steve Jobs really was. You know, this was more, I'm going to be kind of funny with everything mean I say and make it really humorous, which I don't really get the sense that was him. I think he was a much more to the point, I'm not going to jerk around on this stuff. Right. So I just, I felt like it was just Sorkin really loves this style of dialogue. So I'm going to put my dialogue that I think into these people's mouths and hopefully it'll work. Hmm. And it was just a troubling film for me. You know, that's the thing is I love the concept. I thought Fassbender was fine. It was not my favorite performance of his I've ever seen him do, but I think he was fine in the role. Um, I do think Christian Bell probably could have pulled it off better. <laughs> I will say Christian on Bell, that, I think on that note, let's, let's talk a little bit about, cause part of this movie, you know, obviously it being released in late October, it's kind of Oscar bait material. You know, people are looking forward to it. You know, we can go on record. It's been kind of a box office disappointment. A big bomb, actually, yeah. Okay? Yeah. And 
what are some of your thoughts on why that is? And mm-hmm. then let's comment on a little bit of the baggage that this film brings with it. Fincher was supposedly originally tapped to direct it. Then it got kicked to Danny Boyle, supposedly DiCaprio, then kicked to Bale, then kicked to Fassbender. Yes. So what thoughts on all well, that? Well, I, I, um, and I know a lot about, about this because this is a topic I'm really interested in. But This movie I, was made for you. Yeah, I think the reason <laughs> the film bombed is you watch the trailers and unless you had a burning desire to really want to see a film about Steve Jobs, you're not going to go see this movie. Okay. This is not a movie where somebody walks up to the multiplex and says, hey, honey, let's watch a film tonight and let's see what they're playing. You don't see Steve Jobs and say, oh, yeah, let's go see that. That sounds interesting. This is, I want to go see a film about Steve Jobs. I will go buy my ticket. Nobody else has any rational reason to go. You take a film like The Martian. You may Literally not know anything about consider it. Consider social network. What do you think made people line up for that? Um, I think the social network, I mean, I think it was just people were curious about Facebook. Facebook was so just the buzz right then. That was sure. when Facebook was really getting popular. And it's like, oh, did you know there's kind of a, a little bit of an interesting story of how Facebook got started and all. I think it just hit the, the, the zeitgeist at the right time. So everybody's kind of played out with that. Yeah, Apple. Steve Jobs, I mean, we've already had a film. We've had a documentary. We reviewed well, there's the been Ashton t- Kutcher. Yeah, there's been TV shows. I mean, uh, little mini documentaries on TV programs. I mean, there's been a lot of Steve Jobs stuff. Sure. I don't think people have as much mystery about Apple anymore. Gotcha. I think people that wanted to know about Apple know about Apple. So I just don't think the interest was there. Michael Fassbender, awesome actor. He's not a box office draw yet. I think that had a little bit of an effect on it. Would Christian Bell have added more? Probably not much. Would, would uh, DiCaprio? Yes. Sure. DiCaprio would have made this not a huge success, but I think it would have come out a little bit better on the box office side. Um, and then I think, you know, you word of mouth too. I, I sat in a theater and there were, there was a couple right in front of me. There's only like six people in the theater. The couple in front of me, I could tell had no idea what they were getting in for. Sure. And they sat there and I could even see them they like, were talking to each confused. other the whole time. I'm like what's going on? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, all they're doing is just talking the whole time and I don't know what's going on. I think that word gets out of like, Oh yeah, you don't need to go see that movie. It's just a bunch of people talking and about stuff we don't know. And that hurt it as well. I, I, this is one, an instance where it kind of surprises me that this movie was made. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because I feel like it was a very inside baseball movie, Absolutely. a very like behind the scenes movie. And the only people that could appreciate it are either people like you who followed Apple really closely, read a lot of stuff online or people like me that here again, I read the book. So I wasn't confused because I already knew like, oh, yeah, yeah, he was adopted. Oh, OK. He had a daughter that he didn't recognize for a while. Oh, OK. And like, but in I the back knew, of your mind, you're thinking, man, if I didn't know this stuff, I'd be, confused. I'd be totally lost right now. And so that was validated for me. My parents went to go see the movie. Mom had read the book. Dad had not. He was constantly leaning over and asking her, hey, what, why, why are they what doing happened that? here? And yeah. mom's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. Such, <laughs> you're right. It's such an inside baseball so film. For me, it's not that. I think the buzz was created because people were like, this movie doesn't, it's confusing. You don't learn anything about Steve Jobs. You get kind of a, a glimpse, but it doesn't even really kind of make sense. But then here's also the flip side. Here's the the flip side of the problem. The people who have read the book and are real tech aficionados and really wanted a good film about Steve Jobs are upset that it spent so much time talking about the relationship with his daughter, which was over dramatized compared to how it really was true. But yet, I know the filmmakers had to do that because they had to give the audience something to connect to. Otherwise you just can't keep it all in the tech business realm or then you really would have lost the audience. Like, sure. So it was a tough, tough film. It's, um, it's tough. It's tough. And I, yeah, I was I w- fascinated to see it. I think it was an interesting experiment of a film. Sure. I don't think it worked. 
Um, it's a very experimental biopic for this to be so much of a big budget. Yeah, yeah. Kind of surprising. It's very surprising. I, I ultimately, I'm disappointed. Um, not in Fassbender and not in the acting at all. The acting was all great. A little bit in, in the dialogue and mainly in just the forced nature of having to get, make this conceit work of these three real-time sessions, but yet to interact with so many people and have so many dialogue points. I just felt like we, we, were, we were hearing the aftermath of everything and not experiencing the real things that made these people who they were. Right. That was my thing. It's almost like if you've read the book and you've seen the documentary and now you want to see another take on this whole experience, this is fine. Sure. But if you're going in wanting this to be a complete movie, it just, it just didn't work. Thumbs up or thumbs down. I mean, better than Jobs, the Kutchner, Ashton yeah, Kutchner Here's version. the thing I'm going to be really blasphemous about. I, I thought both had their faults. I thought Jobs was a better telling of the Steve Jobs story. It's just that the acting was in the dialogue was horrible. Got you. But it was a better framed film to help you understand Steve Jobs. Okay. This film, better acted, better dialogue. Better shot. Better shot, better looking. But I can't. If I watched one after the other, I would have definitely said, well, I learned a lot more about Steve mm-hmm. Jobs and felt like I connected more with the other one, the Kutcher version, than I did this one. And I, yeah, and I. I, as much as it pains me to say, I would maybe probably agree. Something else that I will say, and I kind of, it's it's a double-edged car, a backhanded compliment. I admire the film for it, but I'm really surprised by it, and I have kind of a weird feeling. I am, I was shocked, even though I'd heard going in that some people didn't like how it portrayed Steve Jobs, and it was maybe negative. I was really surprised and shocked how negative the film portrayed Steve Jobs. I felt like, to me, personally, I felt like it was very negative and made him out to be a cold, unfeeling robot. And at the very end, there is some, and there are little dollops of redeemability throughout the film, but at the end, of course, there is the third act that I don't like. He does have the kind of redeeming moment, which was unearned. We've talked about Mm -hmm. that. But I was really surprised at the end, I was like, wow, I'm really surprised how mean and mean-spirited this makes Steve Jobs look. But there's where I'm kind of surprised. Countering that, though, I'm impressed that a film, when you're doing a biography about somebody, which it would be very easy to put Steve Jobs up on a pedestal mm-hmm. and just say he is such a genius. You know, anything, that anytime that he had any personality quirks, it was so totally worth it because that's who he was and he was such a genius and we're so lucky to have it. Like, I'm surprised that this film does. I mean, but I thought maybe they went too far the other direction in maybe well, not demonizing him, but I was I was surprised at how negative it was about. Steve I actually Jones. felt like the balance was okay. I mean, I think just all the books I've read and the instances I've heard about. I mean, it sounded like it was a pretty fair representation to me hmm. of him. Um, I think the Kutcher version did lionize him a little bit more and put him up on a pedestal more. This one showed so that's him why to I be, admired this yeah. one a little more, but it was still kind of shocking to me. I, I think, guess. I think that's the main reason why, you know, so many of the other lead actors bowed out because they got a lot of pressure from Steve jobs, widow. I had heard about uh, that. supposedly she made some phone calls asking people not to be in the film. Right. And uh, I think you don't want Apple and Disney and all the other affiliate companies kind of be looking down on you as an actor <laughs> Uh, especially for a film that isn't a guaranteed box office hit. You sure. know, it's like they would have been, all of them would have been taking a risk to be in this film. So I think they just realized the risk wasn't worth it. Fastbender probably had nothing to lose. I mean, he's still trying to get his name out there as a big film, film actor. And uh, I'm glad he did it. I think he did a fine job. I just, 
I wish the format of the film worked better for me, but it just it left me really disappointed. Sure. So. Okay. So that's our two films to review, The Martian and Steve Jobs. And what we're going to do is take a quick break. When we come back, we'll come back with a recommendation and see if there's any quick movie news to hit before we wrap up the show. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I'm with the band on TheMesh.TV. Features regional music acts discussing their craft and live performances. Subscribe to I'm with the band on the mesh.tv and swim around in the heads of your favorite regional musicians. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the mesh.tv. I'm Alan. This is Chris. You heard us in the first section talking about the uh, two films we reviewed The Martian by Ridley Scott and Steve Jobs by Danny Boyle, starring Michael Fassbender. So what we do now in this part of the show is we're going to move into some movie news, just kind of banter a little bit about some of the news items that are passing through our our laptop screens here. And then we're also going to close out the show with our recommendation. That's a film movie that you're either going to be able to find online, or in my situation, it's still in the movie theater. Chris may have it in another place. But something you could actually go check out uh, that you may have missed or may just need a little more encouraging to go check out or seek out on your own. Chris, before we get into all that, though, the news and recommendations, let's just do a couple quick little housekeeping notes things. Sure. Reminding everybody they're listening to this on the mesh.tv. If you like what you're hearing, you like whatever the tone of our voice, you like the pleasantries <laughs> of our conversation, whatever it may be that uh, makes you, makes it this, this show work for you, we do have an entire library of past episodes you can go back and listen to at any time on the mesh.tv. You just go look for Foot Candle Films and you'll see everything there. You can also learn a little bit about our film society that we have set up. That's uh, now how many years going now, Chris? Uh, seven, seven, six or seven, or eight yes, years, somewhere seven. in there. We've been doing a film a film society, and that's footcandle.org is the website for that. Find out about the screenings that we're hosting here in the Western North Carolina area. And as we start ramping up for next year's film festival, we'll be able to keep an eye on that website to find out what's going on with that as well. And then we'll, at the end of the show, we'll talk about some ways you can reach out to us. But just as a reminder... The Mesh Network, it's a great place to check out other podcasts and other shows as well, not just the Foot Candle Films show. We've got shows on business, customer service, leadership, education, uh, music, a lot of great stuff, uh, taking care of older parents. I mean, it's a wide variety of topics, all on the Mesh.tv, and it's all for free. So go and listen. So you'll get your money's worth. It is free. It is free. <laughs> Absolutely get your money's worth. There's no doubt about it. You press play. There will be some value assigned to the money you put into it. Absolutely. So, Chris, let's jump in, jump into some news items here, and I've got okay. three news items to share. How many are Star Wars related? None. Oh, We're not yeah, doing that, any Star Wars. Promise. We 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 did keep that promise a couple shows ago. We said no more Star Wars discussion until the film comes out. Fair enough. I'm sticking to it. Okay. I did watch the latest trailer a couple of times. I have not watched it, but then I've stopped. And I even got word flashed across my news that a new international trailer came out with more footage. I'm like, nope, not going to watch it. News items are flashing from my face all the time. Not going to watch it. Not going to read it. So let's go into something completely on the other end of the spectrum. Okay. Um, Shane Carruth. Yeah. Primer, Upstream Color, yeah. two films that I've seen Primer. I have not seen Upstream Color. Um, I, I have seen Upstream Color. I, I liked it, but I need, to, I need to see it again. Well, it's a film. You know, both of his films are ones that really you got to do a little heavy lifting as a viewer. They're not easy Absolutely. ones to process. And I, even more so with upstream color, I felt like, um, you better be like a championship bodybuilder to be able to do the heavy lifting you have to do with that. Yeah. One. So, well, here's, here's what's interesting. So his next film, 
Oh, and he also helped Ryan Johnson with Looper a little bit. Right, correct. Well, his next film's called The Modern Ocean. Okay. Uh, It's supposedly a (laughs) 200-page script dealing with revenge, high seas battles, and intrigue. Huh. But here's the interesting thing. So nine years went between primer and upstream color. He took a really long time working he, on those two films. He did. I mean, he worked on Looper a little bit. like Yeah, but wise. the modern ocean is, is like starting work now. So it's going to be relatively soon after upstream color came out. Huh. Here's the really interesting thing about the film, though. So it's... Uh, Does it have any actors listed? <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Actually, that's what's surprising. Okay. Going from two films that really had no name actors in and them. And he was in... Um, the second one as well. I yep. don't know if he was in the first one. I can't remember, but he was in Upstream Color. Well, he is going to be in the Modern Ocean as well. Okay. Along with Mr. Keanu Reeves, huh. Mr. Dave, Daniel Radcliffe, huh. Chloe Grace Moretz, Jeff Goldblum, Asia Butterfield, and Miss Anne Hathaway. So that's jumping from odd. no actors to seven fairly common household names nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Um, Keanu Reeves, I would not have guessed in a million years, but you know what, given the right stuff, I, I think he's, he's kind of, he can be kind of funny. A thumb sucker. I'm thinking of as an independent film that came out Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. He was in that as like a psychologist or something. He was great. (laughs) Um, I, you know, Hey, I say I'm anxious to see it now. Normally if I hear an independent filmmaker, all of a sudden jumps to a, Big budget with a bunch of names attached to it, famous names. I get nervous. But these, but like just, Jeff Goldblum, that's going to be interesting. These aren't like money-grabbing no. actors necessarily. Daniel Radcliffe, I think, is making some interesting choices on films nowadays. Yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz, I think, is a very talented young actress that could be getting in some interesting films. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Interesting. Interesting. Asia Butterfield, also a very talented young actor. Anne Hathaway... You know, she may annoy me at times, but at least she does try some interesting film projects. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, so, yeah. and then Keanu Reeves. I mean, hey. It's interesting. Anything's possible. So, and Mr. Cruth right alongside those seven as well. So, yeah, um, he's a very, from what I've read and from the two films I've seen, he's very like controlling and very detailed oriented. And like, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. Yeah. And that's interesting because he makes movies that I care about. So I'm like, okay, you do whatever you want. So, it's not like I think Keanu Reeves or any of these people are going to come in there and like run roughshod all over him. It's sure. like he's getting them in the film because he's going to make them do what he wants. You know, there is no, I don't think they like, um, they don't improv or anything. It's like, no, you, you do this as I read Well, it. and I hope it's a situation where they're all wanting to be in the film because they want to work with him. Right. Because they think he's interesting. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's, that could be cool. What's the name of it again? The Modern Ocean. The Modern Ocean. Okay. And of course, the plot details are very, very yeah. hush-hush right now. Nobody knows anything about it, but... Is it 2016 release or they don't uh, even say that? Doesn't say. Huh. Does not say. Wow. Yeah. So I thought you'd be interested in that. I... Definitely am. I had not heard anything about All that. Right. It's cool. Uh, next item I've got. Did you ever see the uh, Amy Winehouse documentary, Amy? I have not, but I, I would like to, but I haven't seen it yet. Well, it's going to put both of us at a little bit of a disadvantage on this story, giving an opinion on it, um, because they're already moving forward with a biopic, like an acted biopic okay. on Amy Winehouse. Now, probably based on how well, maybe I guess the because the documentary is. got a lot of so much acclaim and people are kind of fascinated by her, sure. her, her, her life and story. story. Well, if I had heard, okay, biopic of Amy Winehouse, eh, not really interested. I'd rather just watch the documentary. Watch the documentary that we haven't seen. Two sure. things added to the piece, to the, to the mix here that eh, elevates it a little bit. I'm, I'm still not sure the if actress I'm actress that's playing Amy yes. Winehouse. Um, it's, and I know uh, I'm going to butcher her name. 
Queen Latifah. No. It is uh, <laughs> the girl from the original Dragon Tattoo. Uh, Nomi, and from your Prometheus. Nomi Rapaz. Nomi Rapaz. Huh. I totally see it. I can totally that see that. would work. That. I, can she sing? I don't know. Guess we'll find out. Guess we'll find I mean, um, not that it matters. George Clooney couldn't sing, and yeah. her brother did fine. So. And then uh, directing. Um, you know, the, the film in America back in 2002, Jim Sheridan's film, Yeah, uh, Jim Sheridan also did, I think in the name of the father with, uh, um, Daniel day Lewis, if I, I remember correctly, I think so. Well, supposedly his daughter, Kristen or Kirsten Sheridan is going to be directing. Hmm. She actually, uh, wrote the script for it. Hmm. She got an Academy Award nomination with her sister and their father for in America. She helped write in America. Okay. So now she's going to be directing as well as doing the screenplay for it. I'm saying now, okay, maybe I'm a little interested. That could be could be a good biopic. Could be uh, I mean, interesting. It, yeah, I mean, hearing they're coming out with one, you just think it's like the Hollywood machine. But considering the director and write, her writing the screenplay and the choice of actors, it yeah, it could it, be. It does seem a little bit more interesting than I was originally giving it credit for. It could be. <laughs> yeah, I, I still. I still would like to see the documentary first. Well, that's the thing. I think you and I probably, if we saw the documentary, might have a little more of an opinion if we think there's enough content for a real biopic right? versus just a documentary that supposedly is very well received right now. Hmm. Okay, so let me move on to my third story. And uh, let's just play our little game where I'm going to <laughs> tell you one piece of information. Okay. You tell me how excited you are. I will <laughs> add another piece of information, and you continue to tell me how you feel about it. Okay. okay. If I remember correctly, you weren't the biggest fan of Alice in Wonderland, Tim no. Burton's film. No. I was not either. Didn't care for it a bit. Well, they are making a sequel. <laughs> Alice Through the Looking Glass, like Which, the book. the book. Okay. Yeah, so it's yeah. a sequel. Okay, so right away, just knowing that, they're making a sequel to the Tim Burton film. Where's your interest level? One to ten. I mean, probably zero. No interest. Okay. <laughs> no. All right. Now let me throw this nugget to you. Tim Burton, not directing. See, I'm kind of torn on that. Mm -hmm. Um, That movie made a lot of money. It did. A lot of people out there liked it. I think a lot of people saw it and And appreciated it, but not really loved it. Yeah, it was just kind of crazy. And, you know, just, I I, I don't don't know. And I like crazy stuff. I just felt it was just CGI heavy and just, I wasn't a fan. I... I, I guess the, I, I'm ambivalent about Tim Burton not being involved. That's not going to make me because if he was involved, to be like, well, he's going to make gonna a lot of money of again. Same. Maybe he will try to make it more his style. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, well, instead of Tim Burton, yeah, who's the who's replacing him? James Bobin, who did the Muppets and Fly of the Concords. Huh. He's the director of the Muppets. The original, the, the, the newer version, one. the Jason Siegel written one. Okay. Not and the he's second also, one. No. But the, and he's also been the uh, writer of Fly of the Concords or a director of those episodes. Huh. Okay. Any more interest? Yeah. 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 I did, yeah. I mean, because it seems like, yeah, but you, the first one was not funny to no. me. The Tim Burton, if they're going to try to make it funny and make it, if they're going to try to make it funny, maybe I'll find it more interesting. Yeah. Uh, pretty much most of the cast coming back. We still got Maya Wasikowski as the uh, lead. Really? Mm-hmm. She signed on to come back. Yeah. And That's... Sasha Bar- Baron Cohen is going to be the bad guy, the villain. So he's maybe the Jabberwock? He's the time. Oh. Yes. Huh. They've actually released a, a trailer, a preview trailer for it. 
I mean, it looks like the other Alice in Wonderland film. You know, it didn't look like it changed much tone or style or anything. Okay. I'm willing to give it a little bit more of a pass because I actually think it's a good thing Burton's not doing it. Um, I think Burton's style just didn't work for that film. I, I think it just got over, it just got way overblown. And I, I don't want to go through another hour and a half of that. So, but I like Maya Wasikowska. I like, uh, I like the director. I'm interested in the story because I think Alice in Wonderland is a good story. And, you know, I've never, I've never, I've never read the next book or know the next chapter of it. Sure. So I'm interested, but, um, that's all we got. You know, I, I usually, if I'm excited to see a movie, you know, I run out and say, but this is, this falls into the other category of it's going to come out and it's going to have to get, you know, pretty high ratings for me to consider yeah. going to get oh, it. Because good otherwise I'm take. just going to skip it because, yeah, I, I dread it. I think that's the impression <laughs> to take. So that's all the news I've got. Um, you got anything, Sure. Yeah, that's, that's, those yeah. three are good for me. I, I don't have anything. So. Okay, good. Well, then we'll move on to the final part of our show, and that's where we talk about our recommendations. Again, this is a film that Chris and I, each, wanna, each of us are going to recommend one that you can either find online or you can, in my situation, it is still in the movie theaters. We want to make sure it's accessible, not one of those that you're just never going to be able to find a copy of. Right. So something either online, rentable, streaming, something. So, Chris, what have you got for us? I am going to recommend End of the Tour, which was the movie that came out this year, directed by uh, James Ponsolt, the same guy who did uh, Spectacular Now. Okay. And it stars Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg. And Jason Siegel is the writer David Foster Wallace, and he's being interviewed by the Rolling Stone reporter David Lipsky, being played by Eisenberg. Okay. Um, this, I felt like it was well-directed and just contrasting to our earlier view of Steve Jobs, where they took a small moment in time, three small moments, it didn't really seem to work, you didn't get much insight. This takes, the whole movie takes place within a five-day span of mm-hmm. when this guy goes to interview this famous writer. And that's all the window you get into either one of their lives, but the way it was acted and the script, it was just really well done. And I, I felt like I learned a lot about mm. these two guys and the movie's only like a little over an hour and a half. Okay. So it really worked for me and it worked for me much like a movie we were reviewed earlier this year while we're young. Mm-hmm. And that was all focusing on aging and trying to remain relevant. This talks a lot about, you know, fame and stardom, which of course I have no experience with, but trying to, trying to remain true to yourself and trying to, I know it just had a lot of interesting topics that they would discuss back and forth in the process of him being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And he's a very, a complex writer and him just mm-hmm. answering questions and always kind of being on guard about situations. It was it was very interesting and one of wow. probably one of my favorite films of the year. That's, so that's, that's great. It's into the tour and it's available on iTunes. Excellent. Awesome. Um, mine is not as glowing a review as yours. Okay. Uh, I'm basically recommending a film for certain elements of the film, but not the film as a whole. Okay. Um, I did see Crimson Peak over the last weekend. Oh. Uh, this is the Gil de Tormo uh, directed and written. Uh, it's con- it was marketed as a horror film, but it's not a horror film. Let's just go ahead and get that out in the open there. Okay. Um, it may have a couple of moments that are creepy and horror-ish, but it's not a horror film. And I think that's part of the problem with why maybe audiences didn't quite connect with it as much as they thought they would. Hmm. Um, I do want to recommend the film because I do think from a production design standpoint, it's a really beautiful film to see. You wouldn't be surprised to see it nominated. I wouldn't be surprised. I think the production design of The House – the actual house on Crimson Peak is 
pretty crazy, and (laughs) I can't see any reason why anybody would ever want to go live in this house. I mean, (laughs) the two main characters are pretty adamant about they must return to the house, and they must keep it up and keep it lived in. I don't really see why, because it's a pretty decrepit, bad house, but the design of it (laughs) was really, really interesting, to the point where there's a hole in the top ceiling in the main foyer area. So basically... Throughout the film, you get the sense of what time of year it is because if there's snow falling in the middle of the foyer room hmm. into a pile in the middle of the, the big lobby room area, then oh, it's winter time. Leaves are coming in. It's fall time. <laughs> like huh. it's just the stuff's just kind of falling in. So as they're walking through the hallways, there's always something kind of sprinkling down from the top inside the house. Just interesting huh. feel to the whole thing. Sure. You know, costumes and all the period piece work. It was really good. Now. Story-wise, it was okay. It was fine. Um, I was actually surprised that the whole first third of the movie doesn't even get to the house. It's taking place, I think it takes place, yeah, it takes place in America. And uh, it's very much a a period drama with some tinge of romance, but then there's something a little more sinister under the surface. You don't quite know what. They get to the house, then things start to really kind of amp up a little bit. Hmm. And it does end as much more of a thriller, a gothic thriller, than it is anything a horror film. Okay. Um, but I thought it was good. I liked it. Um, I, there's a lot of places where I think it could have been stronger. It could have, could have uh, it really definitely could have been written better. Hmm. But I do think uh, Wasikowska, as the star, uh, she plays Edith, Edith Cushing, who is a writer who gets kind of swept away with... Uh, Mr. Thomas Sharp, played by Tom Hiddleston, who's really good. Okay. I think he definitely has I the like he has the uh, period drama role Damn. completely buttoned up. I mean, he's got it. Okay, Jessica Chastain. Uh, Are you again poo-pooing her performance? Well, she was probably the best in this that I've seen her in a while, especially okay. at the end of the film. She her her character shifts a little bit in the last fifteen twenty minutes and gets a little nuts, and it's it's fun to watch. Okay. Um, but we have Charlie Hunnam, who you may remember from Pacific Rim, the other Del Toro, Del Toro film in recent years. Okay. Yeah, he's not really that good. Um, hmm. Bern Gorman's in it, who, if you remember from Pacific Rim, was also the cohort of the one of the two scientist guys, the kind of creepy much, guy. I've tried to pretty much block out. You blocked Pacific out Pacific Rim? Rim? Yeah, yeah, not the biggest fan of that one. Oh, and did you hear they were going to make a sequel, but then it got shut down. So Aww. no sequel to Pacific Too Rim. Bad. I thought it was fun. <laughs> anyway, Pacific Rim. All right, I'm sorry. Pacific Rim. I've got it on the brain now. Crimson Peak is a okay. fine film. It's worth checking out. Maybe definitely when it comes online, if it's Netflix or rentable, it's worth watching. And there are some interesting production design elements to it to keep out for. There's I, some surprises. I do, do want to see it. There's I'm some surprises, some things that are a little easy to telegraph and see, but um, it, was, it was a good time at the movies. I had a good time with it. Okay. So again, not the most wholehearted recommendation, but if you are, if that sounds like the kind of genre of film that you're interested in, I think you might actually have a decent time with it. So, okay. and honestly, I just haven't seen anything else in a while. So, I mean, <laughs> so really that's, that's all the other films are ones we're going to be reviewing. So I'm kind of out on other picks right now gotcha. that I can pass along. Hopefully over the next few weeks, I can catch up on a few online films that I've been meaning to watch. So fair enough. All right. So, uh, end of the end of the tour was yes. the name of Chris's mm-hmm. recommendation. Then I had Crimson Peak. 
Uh, but also, it sounded like I was recommending Pacific Rim just as much as I was Crimson Peak. But really, I was focusing on Crimson Peak. Um, <laughs> so a couple of films to check out. Then we had our news items, Shane Cruz's next film, uh, the Amy Winehouse biopic, and whether or not we're interested in Through the Looking Glass with Alice from Alice in Wonderland. So, Chris, a lot of information we covered, a lot of things. People may have opinions. They may agree or disagree with us. How should they go about contacting us if they had said opinions? Send us an email, info at themesh.tv, and just put in the subject line, you know, foot candle guys or something like that, and we'll catch on to it. Ask us questions you have about the reviews or tell us we're wrong, tell us we're correct, whatever. Um, you can also leave us reviews in iTunes because we they have all of our shows. That's not immediate feedback, but it's feedback nonetheless. And give us a star rating. We'd always appreciate that. Yeah, so a lot of different ways to get a hold of us. So we do encourage you to reach out. Give us your feedback, but also let us know if you got any thoughts or ideas on films that we should be discussing or recommending in future episodes. We would certainly love to hear that. Uh, again, reminder that you can check out footcandle.org, our website for our film festival and film society, uh, to kind of find out what's going on there. We've got some interesting screenings coming up in the next few months. And then we will be looking to start promoting our 2016 film festival probably within a few months, kind of getting the word out there about it a little bit. If you are a filmmaker and you're interested in submitting a film to our 2016 film festival, I believe the submission process is going to start out right at the first of the year. So pretty much after the holidays, January, 2016, um, I would recommend you go to footcandle.org or footcandlefilmfestival.com. In both places, you can see a link to how to get to to submit your film for consideration in our festival. We'd love to get the word out. Chris, we've got some other stuff going on too, right? Yeah. The, here in Catawba County, we are actually in Hickory. The local chapter of the Catawba Valley Habitat for Humanity, they're going to be holding a screening of It's a Wonderful Life. And it's a benefit. They're going to have kind of a Christmas party going on. They're going to have raffles, door prizes, all sorts of fun stuff. No, this it, It's a Wonderful Life. Is this the original version or is this the remake with The Rock that I think came out a year or two ago? <laughs> no, this, this is the original black and white with Jimmy Stewart. Awesome. And, um, so, yeah, they're going to be showing it on the big, a big screen and should be a lot of fun. Uh, if you're interested and need more information, just go online at HabitatCatawbaValley.org. And they give you information on ways to buy tickets. HabitatCatawbaValley.org. Yes. Okay, got it. And that's coming up on what date? Oh, yeah. It is going to be in December, Friday, December 11th at 6 o'clock. Friday, December 11th, 6 o'clock, a special screening of It's a Wonderful Life, along with dinner and music and lots of fun. And you go to the website for HabitatCatawbaValley.org to check out and get more information. That'll work. Great. Well, we're glad to be a part of that, and we will certainly look to see some of you there. All right. Well, I guess that's it for today. We're going to wrap up today's episode. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.